0: Welcome to the Secular Voices Podcast. Here we discuss current events affecting the secular community and movement, talk with secular activists, and hope to inspire you to get off your ass and get involved. Now, here is your host, the head writer at Secular Voices on Patheos, author of Understanding an Atheist, and executive director at Young Skeptics, Kevin
1: Davis. Welcome to episode two of the Secular Voices Podcast. Here on the podcast, our goal is to bring you the latest in what's happening in news as it relates to the secular movement, talk about or to secular activists doing great work, and if we have time, toss in some weekly features like This Week in God's Plan from the Secular Voices blog. There are a few ways to listen to the podcast. Each episode will be posted on the Secular Voices blog on Pathios, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. Advanced access to the Secular Voices podcast is available to our Patreon supporters, so please be sure to check us out at patreon.com secularvoices. This week's topic, punching Nazis. So unless you've been living under a bridge or you don't have social media or any other type of contact with the outside world, uh, you heard that last week after Trump's inauguration, Uh, Alt-right talking head and white supremacist Richard Spencer was caught on camera being the recipient of a sucker punch from a protester who then ran away. In the aftermath, social media has blown up over a debate on whether or not the quote-unquote Nazi punch is appropriate or acceptable in American society. So it seems to boil down to two sides, right? On one side, those who feel punching nazis is acceptable argue that since this person advocates for the extermination of millions of people preemptive violence is the appropriate way to handle the situation on the other side we have those who feel that violence is not acceptable in a free society and that since richard spencer was not putting anyone in imminent danger right he wasn't in the midst of an attack he was simply giving an interview on camera that violence was inappropriate and unnecessary. So this week I posted a piece on Secular Voices on the Pathos blog, uh, where I addressed this issue after uh, really reading through a lot of different viewpoints on the issue on Facebook and Twitter through media channels like you know news websites and things like that and blogs and you know my own Facebook friends list right that's comprised I'd say fifty percent of secular activists or people in the atheist movement and then, you know, 50% of people I know in real life or friends and family, things like that. Um, But my my own Facebook feed has blown up into arguments and, you know, people really turning off conversation to one another on this divisive issue. And it's been pretty disheartening to see that something like this would divide people so much. And maybe it's just a product of The environment that we're living in now right with a new president who obviously is divisive just ending a recent campaign season where you know it was all binary right it's us against them regardless of which side you're on Uh, there was no middle ground in really anything any issue that was brought up during the campaign so it's really we've gone to this binary thinking environment where we only have two answers to every question there's my answer and there's the enemy's answer. And unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with, with this whole Richard Spencer thing. And he's really getting uh, a lot more attention than I think anyone would really want him to get. Uh, whether it's you know negative or not, some people say that bad publicity is still good publicity. Uh, and in his case, he may be getting good publicity in that... You know, people may be finding out about him that haven't heard of him before, and now are watching his speeches on YouTube or are uh, reading things that he's written, and maybe getting behind him. So after reading all of these things that people have written in my socialist circles and the opinions that they've had and how they base those opinions, up until this point uh, that I posted the piece this week, I really didn't get into it. I didn't comment. I didn't take one side or the other. Uh, but I felt it was about time to uh, really voice my opinion on it and hopefully influence some people if that's even possible to either change their minds on the issue or, um, you know, maybe assist them in in informing their opinions based on the rationale that I provided. So I'm just going to quickly go through really what my take on this whole Nazi punch situation is. Um, I mean, for me, it was, it, it was fun to watch for sure. I mean, I, I really hate the guy like, uh, like many other people do, he's uh, a deplorable individual, if I can use that word. His views are toxic. His stances on diversity are opposite of anything I've ever felt, certainly. And, uh, and I think his position on these issues and what he's trying to, to accomplish are just uh, horrific. And it's bad for society, it's bad for peace, and it's bad for progress. So the title of my piece, if you wanted to look it up, and if you haven't read it yet, is "I Hate Richard Spencer Too." But here are three reasons I feel the Nazi punch was not acceptable. So the first reason I gave for this is if we say it's okay to punch a Nazi or you know whatever Richard Spencer is, white supremacist, alt-right leader, neo-Nazi, you know whatever whatever label you want to put on him. I mean he's a racist, right? Um, then where do we draw the line? How much violence against him or someone like him is acceptable? So do we stop at a punch? Is it five punches, a few kicks? Is it okay to stab him? Is it okay to walk up to him with a gun and pull the trigger? So where do we draw that line and who makes that decision? So if we turn on the switch that says violence is okay against certain people and certain people with certain views and certain people who are advocating violence, then to what point do we make that violence acceptable? to what point do we say here's the level you can take it this is what's acceptable in society yes it's still illegal but this is ethical right you're fighting the good fight up until this point do we say it's okay to kill someone especially someone who hasn't actually killed anyone or no one he's directed has killed anyone is it okay for that preemptive strike even though we're not actually at war you know, sure, we have times where when we're at war, yes, we take out the enemy before they can take us out. because we know the intent is there. We're at war. You know, we know that that's what they've been directed to do. And war is a different situation than being at a protest or you know walking up to someone when they're trying to give an on-camera interview. it's a it's a it's a totally, totally different situation. So the second reason I gave for not advocating this violence against Richard Spencer or those like him uh, is that he has not, to our knowledge, committed a violent act against anyone, right? So although he may have advocated that, although I honestly, I tried to look for a time that he did. And if someone that's listening to this could find a time where he actually advocated violence against a race, against a people against anyone then please let me know and correct me Um, but i couldn't find anything that actually showed that he advocated violence against anyone in fact what i found is and i'm and trust me i am not supporting this guy or making excuses for him uh what i found for him was that he advocates a peaceful ethnic cleansing or something like that he wants people to be paid off to leave the country so it doesn't sound like he you know wants to exterminate a race, although I'm sure that he would be okay with that. Uh, he hasn't gone out and said that that he wants to you know annihilate an entire race and perform his ethnic cleansing that way. It sounds like he wants to just ship people out to uh, wherever their ancestors came in from, unless you're white Europeans, of course. But anyway, you know ag- again, I, it comes back to that violence as a preventative measure even though he hasn't hurt anyone physically he hasn't started this genocide that people are accusing him of how can we justify violence against him there has been no time in american history that we have said it was okay to be violent with people based on words that they're using so what makes this different we've had neo-nazis in this country for decades right and we've never said it's okay to be violent with these people because they're advocating something. So if we make that the norm, I think we're treading on some dangerous, dangerous territory here. You know, and then did the violence against him really accomplish anything? What did it accomplish? Did it change his views? Did it make it so that he is not going to speak out anymore? I seriously doubt that. Uh, It may fuel his hate. It may fuel his... Uh, activism, if that's what you want to call it, um, you know, it may make the problem worse. And there are rumors on the internet, true or not, that there's a bounty on this person's head that committed this punch on camera. If if they can be identified and found, apparently there's some bounty by the alt right or white supremacists or or whatever they are. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's certainly believable. Violence begets violence, right? I don't expect this situation to be any different in that respect. So then the third reason that I brought up in my piece was, if we deem this act as acceptable, then we send the message that similar acts are acceptable. Nazis are horrible people. Totally agree. White supremacists are horrible people. But think about it. You know that hateful feeling you get in your gut that comes about when you think about these people. You think about a white supremacist, you think about the alt-right movement and all it stands for, you think about Nazis, and you get this feeling in the pit of your stomach, and you get this rage forming that, yeah, it would feel great. It would feel great to hurt them. And it would feel justified because you feel that you are preventing some sort of mass extinction. Because you are protecting people, because you are doing something that you feel is an American right or justified for the greater good that's the same feeling that religious zealots get when they think about abortion doctors so someone that is this uber Christian who is anti-choice anti-abortion that's the same feeling in their gut that they get when they see an abortion doctor walking into a clinic to do his work they would love to walk up to him and injure him they would love to punch him in the face they would love to stab him kill him take him out bomb the clinic and people have in the past and what have we done as a society we've said that's wrong we've said that regardless of how you feel about the situation regardless of whether you think it's wrong what that person is going to do it is not okay to preemptively strike against them and do something to injure or kill that person we've made that statement in the courts to those individuals who feel that way about abortion doctors and abortion clinics it's exactly the same way that we feel about people like Richard Spencer to those people those doctors are committing murder every day and we tell them that they are wrong to make a preemptive strike against that doctor so if that's the case then we have to hold the same standard on our side whoever assaults a Nazi or white supremacist who is not doing so in defense Of an imminent threat to another human being is also in the wrong sure if you see a Nazi beating someone up jump in if you see a Nazi raising his fist to someone and has not yet struck jump in those are times when we should be defending people with violence not when someone's giving an interview on camera just because we disagree with their views or think that potentially down the road they could incite some kind of violence that's not how society works, and that's not how America works. So that's all I'm going to say on that. If you want to read more about what I you know, said about uh, this piece, please look up the article on uh, Patheos. It's going to be obviously one of the more recent ones. I'm sure that there are a lot of you out there who disagree with me. Uh, the you know, comments section on the post got lit up pretty well, and, and certainly everywhere it was posted on Facebook, and I tried to keep up with the comments here and there. But yeah, you know we're divided on the issue. It's unfortunate, but I hope that we can have civil discussions that don't result in you know people just shutting down because they don't like what the other side has to say. You know that's not how discourse works, and that's not how we progress as a movement. Okay, I'm stepping down from my soapbox now, I promise, and we are moving on to
0: secular voices activist spotlight.
1: This week on The Spotlight, we welcome Jim Helton to the podcast. Jim is the leader of the Tri-State Freethinkers and the regional director for Kentucky for American Atheists. The first time I met Jim was last summer when I was invited to speak at the ARC Encounter protest and rally down in Cincinnati at the University of Cincinnati campus. Um, The protest was a resounding success. There was media everywhere. Uh, there was even protest groups protesting the protest. Uh, Eric Hovind and his League of Deplorable Gentlemen were there to try to confront us and argue with us. And in some cases, they succeeded. They were irritating, annoying. And they even tried to buy us bags full of intolerant sandwiches from Chick-fil-A, which we Declined because we brought our own food and did not see the passive-aggressive gesture as a peace offering. But anyway, the protest was awesome. Uh, The Tri-State Freethinkers are a well-organized group, a well-oiled machine. They do a lot for their community. And I was impressed with the organization as a whole when I went there, and uh, I still am today. I I love keeping track of what they're up to. So let's bring them in. Jim Helton, welcome to the Secular Voices Podcast. Thank you for having me on. So, I, just by following you on, uh, on Facebook and Twitter and, um, uh, you know, us meeting back at the uh, Ark Encounter protest and rally uh, back in uh, last summer when the Ark Encounter opened, I've been kind of following uh, Tri-State Freethinkers and trying to keep up with uh, what you guys are up to, and, and it's really been a lot. And uh, Tri-State is... Uh, you know, a relatively small group, but you know, you guys are, are really active, um, in your area. If you want to, uh, I, I know that you attended the women's March in Washington. If you want to kind of give me your synopsis of how that went as someone that was there, I wish I could have gone, but uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to make it. So what do you, what's your opinion of the success of the women's March?
2: Uh, it, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, in Washington, there was about 1.2 million people, there's not a picture that does it justice you cannot see it all it was so big uh it started like on third street all the way up to 14th street the march was supposed to be two hours after two hours they were still just unloading people from 12th street people just kept coming it you could not move there was so many people uh the march basically broke down and just went anywhere and everywhere because of the amount of people that the entire march line filled up of where we were supposed to go before it even started
1: well wow, there was amazing. just
2: people everywhere it was so diverse i would say the police there were amazing i mean obviously they were in riot gear they were they had to be in places but as they're driving through the crowd they had their windows rolled down giving high fives to people you know, cops jumped out of the car in their in their gear with their with a pussy hat on, you know, <laughs> supporting the march. It, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Yet when they got to where they needed to be, they were like, "Hey, you will not cross here," and you didn't. But it, it didn't set that tone of, you know, uh, of escal of escalation like I've been at other places. Right. Uh, and there were no violence. There was no incidences with over a million people through the whole march.
1: Yeah, it's amazing and, and definitely a. Um... You know, a, a welcome change uh, from you know, the day before and the the kind of nonsense that went on with some of the protesters, and unfortunately, the uh, you know paints a, a a bad picture for the rest of the protest and, and during the inauguration of the new president.
2: Yeah, from talking to the inauguration, you know there was like thousands of people that waited like four hours to be able to protest, and they would not let them in, and it basically they turned them away. And so you had thousands of people not in an area where they were supposed to be, but they got turned away and not allowed. And they went through the streets pissed off because they waited for four hours to be denied. Not that that justifies it, but that's kind of what escalated.
1: Right, right. What
2: escalated that, unfortunately.
1: So, you know, now that the march is over, right, there there are reports of um, how it went and things that were said uh, at the march by some of the keynote speakers and things like that. Some of it went well. Some of it has a lot of uh, controversy or people in opposition to things that were said, especially by celebrities at the march, um, and kind of uh, helps to paint a bad picture of what the march was about uh, altogether. So, you know, now that it's over, now that everybody has gone home and has gone back to their lives, and, and, you know, I can certainly attest to things that I've been involved with where there's this huge ball of energy, right, when you're taking part in it and you feel great about it and, and you're super motivated. So now that it's over and you're back home, what's your view as far as what the march has accomplished or has kicked off for the future?
2: Let me address two things on that. <laughs> there was even some discussion within our own group on this. Like the Women's March grew and took on more than what people originally intended. And some people didn't like that. Like, we've watered down our message because now we're talking about poverty, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about LGBT rights. Like, this is no longer a women's march, so to speak. And I was all for it. It couldn't have gotten this big if they wouldn't have went this route. It's about intersectionality, meaning we have to come out of our bubble if if like the tri-state free thinkers our focus is separation church and state but also equal rights we're all supporting the same things we need i mean our focus can be on separation church and state but when the lgbt community needs us we need to be there when planned parenthood needs us we need to be there when transgender has an issue we need to be there if we have that intersectionality you can look at the numbers we turn out and the difference we can make together in making change and i think that's huge And that was a message of the marks. And some people were worried that the the message got watered down. But I think it shows how powerful we are and how it brought us together. I had an American Atheist sign right at the beginning of the march where everybody had to pass me because I got separated from my Planned Parenthood group that brought me. And I got separated from American Atheists. And I had people, one, knew who our group was, two, that were high-fiving me, thumbs up. I even had Christians hugging me saying, I agree with you because my sign said, this is not a church pointing to the Capitol. It brought everybody together, so I think that's huge. The, the second point is our ARC Encounter protest, just to put this in comparison, made international news. We had the biggest growth membership ever in one single month. It was around just under 100 people in one month for membership. We had a major role in the Cincinnati March here. They were expecting 5,000 people. We had about 15,000 people. And we had a huge presence at that march doing security and other things. Our membership this month, since that march, we're going to grow our membership more than we did on the Ark Encounter. And news coverage was only the local news because there wasn't all the other news coverages because they had their own marches to cover. Right. So people, we we were at Planned Parenthood volunteering yesterday. Normally, we get, you know, four or five people. There was 20 people there. Uh, All of our volunteer events for community service, we do about three a month. They all have waiting lists now, like where people just can't get in. The amount of people that want to volunteer, that want to do something, it's ex- it, uh, on that effect. It's exciting. It's bringing people together that can no longer remain silent. Like one of the signs says, "Even introverts are here." <laughs> <laughs> like they're so mad, introverts came out, and 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 we're seeing that. That's what's happened. People are getting out of their comfort zones,
1: right? And, sure. and coming out. Sure. For those out there that say. The Women's March didn't accomplish anything, right? Because, you know, we had the next day or two days later, Donald Trump signs an executive order to, you know, cut off funding to nonprofit clinics that operate overseas or internationally um, that may either perform abortions or have counseling related to abortion. So, with that action coming just two days after the march, you know, what's your response to those who? Um, criticized the march and things like it saying that that nothing was accomplished that he's not going to listen and and neither are our representatives in government
2: uh simply well they're wrong it does matter now we're not kidding ourselves donald trump's gonna do what donald trump's gonna do it (laughs) whether we had one person at the march or five million people at the march but that's not what this is you are mobilizing people You are taking action. It can matter at a local level. But even if your local level is like Kentucky, where you can argue it may not matter. There's other states like that. You are mobilizing a force of people who want change. That's Talking to David Silverman, he talked about that during the Bush era. That's when he became an activist. When Bush came out and did all the Bush things Bush does, it created people like the David Silvermans to come out and a bunch of other people, and we have some of the top activists leading the country and the movement that came out of that Bush era and mobilized, and that's how we got the Obama era came after that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: People got upset, and they came out in force and voted. So this isn't immediate. They already have their plans. They're gonna do what they're going to do, but we can create a force of people to make change, and you have to think of the future. If we sit here quietly, this will continue as the status quo. We raise our voices, we can make change for the next time. And at the state level, you can make a difference. So it is vital that we do things like this and we continue it. It can't be, though, just a march. If it's just a march, then you could argue how effective was it. Mm -hmm. Just for the example, like our ARC encounter. If Mm -hmm. we just did a protest, the ARC encounter still opened. Did we accomplish anything? Well, guess what? We changed the entire story. Every story after that talked about all the violations the ARC did. Right, you can't talk about Donald Trump now without all the millions of people that came out and all the people that are against him. The Women's March helped change that story. It, it's going to be talked about of all the people against the things that he's done, and and that is that is vital. You know that the news just doesn't cover a positive. Here's what's going on. They're talking right. about all the people upset, and that and that's that's huge.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think this uh, helps to build momentum for the future. And like you said, it influences the electorate, you know, as we go forward. And, um, you know, the next election that comes up, we have in the back of our minds, all of these people who are against those that are in power right now, and what reasons that we're against them. Um, And I think it helps us start that conversation where uh, the voices are being heard, right? So we're out there saying, these are the things that Trump is doing. These are the things our representatives are supporting um, that that the people aren't in favor of. So we need to stop them, however we can. And whether that's midterm elections, whether that's the next presidential election, whether it's uh, pressuring our representatives for impeachment of the president, should something you know qualify for that, I think that making sure that that discussion is on the forefront is vital to you know success in. You know, making sure that Trump doesn't turn into a dictator um, as much as he seems to want to be.
2: And I think it, the key thing you said is, it's the midterm elections. We do not have to wait four years; it's mm-hmm. two years. Most of the bad legislation is going to be at the state level. You know, there were a hundred religious bills proposed, I think, in December alone. After after the election, the state levels where this is going to matter, and. We have the politicians' attention. Because I can tell you this. We we had a secular lobby day. We went to Ohio. We had one with the ACLU. We went to Kentucky. And then a lot of the politicians were at the Cincinnati March. Almost all of them knew who we were. Mm -hmm. They knew who the tri-state freethinkers were. They knew we were leading the charge when it came to equality. They even asked, could they speak to our group that they would love to? Politicians last year one didn't really know who we were right. two they couldn't be associated with us or even want to speak to our group they you know they didn't want our vote they thought it was too risky and now they want to speak to us that's that is huge right sure you know at state representatives senators city council they know that you know we're not the only ones but we are helping mobilize a force in this area in the tri-state area and it's got everybody's attention. They're aware. And that can make a huge difference of, you know, kind of like the hashtag atheist vote. And, mm-hmm. and, and we will.
1: Yeah, and it's a huge testament to the success of the tri-state Freethinkers. thinkers. And, uh, you know, I, I have said it on uh, the Secular Voices blog in the past that I wish that, uh, you know, many of the local groups across the country would operate the way that tri-state does. I mean, you guys are not only active in... You know, protests and and things like that. And, and, you know, you're you're doing good work for the community as well. Like you mentioned before, doing three uh, service projects per month. You know, I I think that's amazing. I wish that more groups were working to clean up the image of the, you know, the red letter A and, and, and get rid of the stigma that goes along with being an atheist.
2: It's not easy, but the formula we use to do this is duplicatable. And that was the plan kind of all along as we wanted to do something that could be duplicated around the country. And and I can just for a few minutes tell you kind of what we did. Everything we do is what we call ACEs. It's activism, community, education, social. There's the four things that we did. My wife and I started this group because I wanted to do activism and she wanted to do community service. And I kept telling her no because they were proselytizing. So she's like, create me something so I can do some good in the community without without the God part. Mm -hmm. But in order to bring people together, it's like, well, how are we going to mobilize people? So we did an education meeting once a month. We only met once a month. We're like, if we can bring in a speaker that will draw people and we can get them in the room. And that's what we did. We started with an education meeting, a monthly meeting, same time, same place, brought in some speakers. Once we had some people, we said, hey, we'd like to do a community service project once a quarter. That's what we did, it was once a quarter. When we built it up big enough, we moved it to once a month. You know, Now we're up to three a month, but it was something gradual we did. Mm-hmm. We also, as we started getting people, we start doing some social events. It's our number one reason people join the Tri-State Freethinkers. You may not think that, and I was surprised to see that number. But by far, half the people join because of our social events. It's an easy way in. The first thing they may not want to do is march, right. you know, with fifteen thousand people, or they might be intimidated to come to a meeting with a hundred people. Mm-hmm. So, having a couple social events is good, but providing that sense of community is huge. So, the other thing, and and this isn't the easy part. And and there's an argument in the in the atheist community on this. We take stances, meaning we came out as an organization and said we are against the death penalty. Mm -hmm. We we are for dying with dignity. We are for women's rights. You know, we were key in getting cities for seat all passed in Cincinnati as a resolution, as an equal rights thing. We were the first group on board. Some of our members didn't like these things, and it, we took some heat for it. Like mm-hmm. where people said we should only focus on atheist issues or separation church and state, and and I had to fight this. Even we even last year we had some discussion amongst our own board, on, and it got heated on this issue. The key is intersectionality. These groups were fighting all the same people. We're all on the same side on these issues we need to unite. And it's a hard transition for leadership to do. But if they do that, the growth that that group will have and the impact in the community, we are no longer considered the atheist group or those horrible atheists. We are, you're going to do something in Cincinnati. You know what, you probably should call the tri-state freethinkers. They're organized, they have resources, they know what they're doing, they can turn out a crowd. Mm-hmm. You know the ACL used calling and saying, "Hey, we want to organize an event with you at the state house." You know Planned Parenthood in Ohio called me and said, "Hey, we're going to Washington. Would you like to come up with us?" You know, I right. didn't have to yeah. cover gas. They even provided housing where I could go. This is what we need to do as as organizations around the country. And I'd be happy to help people that are trying to do this.
1: Yeah, as someone who has been through a lot of those struggles with my own local group here in Rochester, New York. Uh, I, I agree that those are you know, valid and certainly uh, real struggles that you're going to go through. Like locally in Rochester, you know, I've tried to, to uh, encourage my group to get more active in community service, get more active in political events or uh, table at, at other events that will force us to take a stand, will put us out there and show people what we're there for and what we believe in. However, like you mentioned, we run into a lot of uh, disagreement on what those stances should be. I mean, two years ago, for the first time, we marched in the local pride parade. But there were members of our group who were against that or didn't support it because it didn't have anything to do with atheism in their mind, or um, we shouldn't be taking that stance because we're a diverse group with diverse uh, stances on issues, so we shouldn't be taking a particular stand. So I'm with you there.
2: Yeah, you absolutely should because it you can also, you know, I talked about this at when we did that rally for science and reason
1: mm-hmm.
2: is these are all the same people we're fighting against. The gay community is fighting against the religious right that's trying to discriminate. So is transgender. So is women's reproductive rights. Like it's the same people the, at the bottom of it, we're fighting the same people, and it's religion that we're fighting. Let's not kid ourselves. If you take religion out of the out of the gay movement argument, we're not having these discussions. Sure. You know, if if you take religion out of the out of the anti science things, we're not having a lot of these discussions as 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 big of a platform as we are. So religion is at the bottom of almost all these things, and we should be at the forefront fighting them and also explaining to those members, like when we do something extreme. You know, I keep referring to the Ark, but the Genocide and Incest Park billboard, people are like, well, that's the wrong type of message we want to send to Christians. And I'm like, it's not a message for Christians. <laughs> like, this message is for atheist activists because those are the ones that run the group and they need to know we're here. Right. I'm not trying to send an olive branch to the Christians. Well, they're pissing them off. Like, that's okay. Now, the very next day, we're at a church feeding the homeless alongside of a church. <laughs> that's our olive branch to the church. We we're trying to appeal to the Christians. I'm not a trying to appeal to the atheist activists because when they see us at a church, they think that's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. they have to understand who your target audience is and that you're not trying to appeal to everybody every time you do something and be very clear what our goals are mm-hmm. and what our target is. And, and understand that, you may offend some of the people that aren't the targets, but they're not your, your targets. Everybody breaks away from religion differently. Humor does it for me. Other people need to be smacked in the face with something offensive. You must do them all. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you're not going to appeal to everybody when you do it. And that's what I think the hardest thing for people to overcome, like the argument you had. Well, what about this? Or what? Those are good points. We need to be aware of them. And maybe we should do an action to appeal to those people we're not appealing to or that we're offending next. But this action is not designed for them. And that, just because it may not work for them, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because it does help these people here.
1: Right. You know, again, I, I commend you for your efforts and, and the success that Tri-State has had over the past few years and, and growing your community, doing great work in your community and nationally. And it's, it's been awesome to watch. And like I've said before, I wish I lived closer to you so I could join. <laughs> well,
2: we we appreciate your support, and you keep doing what you're doing too. I know you have quite a few things you're working on that that are that are amazing. So
1: oh, too many things sometimes, <laughs> but but listen, while I got you, and and you mentioned uh, smacking someone in the face with something offensive, I'm gonna put you on the spot. So before you came on, I I was talking about the Nazi punch video, yep, and the controversy that followed. So yesterday, I posted a piece on Secular Voices with. Three major reasons the punch was not acceptable, in my view. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you what's your take on the Richard Spencer attack that happened in Washington. It's a
2: simple thing. It's not acceptable. We must protect the freedom of speech. And punching somebody as doing an interview, they are not threatening our livelihood. We we, we can't go that route. You know, the ACLU defends the Ku Klux Klan when they can't march because they have the freedom to march. We must defend that right no matter how much we hate the message. But at the same time, once the ACLU got the Ku Klux Klan permission to march, they organized a protest to protest the Ku Klux Klan at the very right. same time. Those are the types of things we can do. The arguments being made for the punch, I think, are very poor. Meaning, one, they like watching it. It was awesome to see. <laughs> he, You know, he deserved it. Yeah, we all may feel that inside, but we can't act on that. The other argument, the one that bothers me is, well, you know, he's inciting violence. He's inciting a crowd. Look at the genocide. We're going to have the Holocaust. Like, you're making an argument because somebody's doing an interview that we should cut them off with violence. Like, one, walk away. Don't give him an audience. Two, don't interview him. And when these things are being done, turn it off. If he has no voice, that's okay. You know, it, it solves a lot of the problems. I I do understand there is a time for violence. I think it's rare. I think people overreact. I'm a nonviolent person. But if somebody stuck a gun to my family's head and I had a choice to act violence to save them, I would not hesitate. I would use violence. Mm -hmm. But nobody was in danger by what that by what was going on there. It is clearly a freedom of speech. And I think people are saying we need to take violence to stop that violence and that wasn't the case here at all.
1: Right, right. One of the points that I made is that you you have to kind of put yourself in, in other people's places, right? And not put yourself in a Nazi's place because nobody can really sympathize with that. But the way that people are emotionally reacting to this is that we have to do something physically to stop these people because they're going to advocate murdering thousands of people, right? So think about how someone who is anti-abortion feels, you know, extreme anti-abortion feels when they see an abortion doctor walk into a clinic, right? They get that same feeling in their gut that we get when we see, you know, someone from the alt-right or white supremacist uh, spewing their hate. And it's the same exact feeling. They feel that If they do something to this abortion doctor, they're going to save lives. They're going to stop murder. Just like that protester felt when he punched Richard Spencer, he felt he was doing something to save people's lives.
2: And you you hit the nail on the head. And I I put this conversation on my Facebook because I didn't want to comment on other people's because they were getting very heated. and It wasn't going so well. The one on my page was actually pretty civil. But all the arguments being made on why this guy should get punched is the exact same arguments that could be made to commit violence against me when I'm speaking out against the religious right. right. I was like, all these arguments justify hitting me. I don't like these arguments. I don't want to be hit. And, you know, and the abortion doctor. So that, that, that's why we can't do, do these things.
1: Right. Yeah, one last thing I'll ask you. Uh, what are tri-state Frank thinkers up to now? What's next for you?
2: There are several things that, that we're doing. We're, we're very involved in the separation church and state. With the Ark Encounter, school violations and city violations are pouring in. We're having great successes of getting religion out of schools and government. Some of them we've we publicized. Some of them we've honestly kept quiet because the school district knows they have a huge problem and they're working with us, and by blasting it to the media is just going to cause them more problems and make it more difficult to work with us. But we've had huge success on the separation of church and state with government and schools. the The other issue is, you know, mobilizing the women's march, getting all these people that want to do something and giving something to do, and not in things that matter. You know, building an action plan of getting plan, getting the people to Planned Parenthood that want to support women's rights. You know proposing legislation we may wait on that a little bit but we at least want to start drafting and thinking what legislation we have until we get the next election in two years lobby days are very important so that the representatives know who we are mm-hmm. when i tell them the size of our people and the like there's 23 non-religious a third of millennials they had no idea it was that big so mobilizing the women's movement and the inter, and the intersectionality of all these groups, we will continue to be a leader in equal rights. We are going to support the gay community, the trans community. We have a huge movement then that nobody can ignore. And 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 that will be our focus uh, this
1: year. All right, Jim. Well I, I wish you luck in that effort. I wish you luck with Tri State Freethinkers. I wanna thank you for Uh, joining me on the secular voices podcast and i hope you'll come back soon and let us know how you're doing and about the successes that you're having oh absolutely anytime all right thanks jim take care that's it for this week's podcast please tune in next week when we welcome sarah levin from the secular coalition of america to talk to us about what they're up to have a great week everyone
0: thanks for listening to the secular voices podcast to support our work Grab some cool rewards and get early access to this podcast. Visit patreon.com slash secular voices. Kevin's book, Understanding an Atheist, can be found on Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers. And don't forget to check out Young Skeptics at youngskeptics.net. Have a great week ahead, and remember to be rational, be outspoken, be heard.